0: This morning, uh, Kimberly and Mario are at home with a sick baby, uh, so please pray for them. Pray for Easton uh, as he is getting well, but because of that, we'll not have kids' church this morning, uh, so that means we'll just, uh, uh, we'll just have to endure uh, the kids being a little restless, and that's okay. Uh, that's okay. If you have your Bibles, open up to the book of First Samuel chapter 7, First Samuel chapter 7, uh, we will read this morning 1 Samuel chapter 7 verses 1 through 10. 1 Samuel chapter 7 verses 1 through 10 as we continue to walk through the book of 1 Samuel. <clears throat> and the men of Kiriath-jearim came and took the ark of the Lord and brought it into the house of Abinadab on the hill and consecrated Eleazar his son to keep the ark of the Lord. And it came about from the day that the ark remained at kiriath Jearim that the time was long, for it was twenty years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. Then Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel, saying, If you return to the Lord with all of your heart, remove the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth from among you, direct your hearts to the Lord and serve Him alone. He will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. So the sons of Israel removed the Baals and the Ashtaroth and served the Lord alone. Then Samuel said, Gather all of Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. And they gathered to Mizpah, and they drew water and poured it out before the Lord. And they fasted on that day and said, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the sons of Israel at Mizpah. Now when the Philistines heard that the sons of Israel had gathered to Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the sons of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. Then the sons of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hands of the Philistines. Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it for a whole burnt offering to the Lord. Samuel cried to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him, now Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, and the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel, but the Lord thundered with a great thunder on that day against the Philistines and confused them, so that they were routed before Israel. Let's pray. As we read this passage in 1 Samuel, as we see your hand intercede on behalf of Israel, Lord, may we, may we be encouraged. that you intercede for your people. Lord, well, may we see the difference this morning between remorse and repentance. May we see ourselves in 1 Samuel chapter 7. And may we cry out for deliverance. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I've got three lovely children, and one of the greatest joys of my life is raising these three beautiful children one of the greatest frustrations in my life is raising these three beautiful children uh, I, I i grabbed nicholas yesterday and I, I i took his little face and i put it right before mine uh and it was taking every bit of self-control that i had not to jerk his head right off of his right off of his body and i said nicholas when i tell you to do something i need you to do Exactly what I tell you to do, when I tell you to do. Not after you die, not after this, this game is over, not, af, not, not at the next commercial, when I tell you to do something. And, and his eyes got, got, got real teary, and he goes, I'm, I'm sorry, Dad, I'm sorry, Dad. And, and my heart just broke for him, but I knew that he was only sorry because I had gotten in his face and I had fussed at him. Uh, because I remember being eight. And whenever I was eight years old, whenever I would get my homework papers, I would, I didn't want to do homework. I wanted to, when I got home, I wanted to play. In fact, the worst rule that my parents ever gave me was that you have to finish your homework before you go out and play. Did anybody have that rule growing up? You have to finish your homework before you go out and play. And, and for most of us, that meant that we do our homework on the bus and whatever doesn't get done on the bus doesn't get done, right? Right. <laughs> because I'm not going to spend my time doing homework at home when I can go out and play, right? Well, I found a loophole. I would take my homework papers and shove them in my desk and not bring them home. And so if, if my homework didn't come home, there was no way for me to do homework, right? So as soon as I got home, Mom would say, do you have any homework? I'd say, no, I don't have any homework, and I'd get to go play. Well, my mom had a teacher conference about uh, about a week before Christmas break. And my mom's sitting with the teacher, and the teacher says, you know, you know, Preston's not turning in any of his homework. And my mom says, well, he keeps coming home saying, I'm, I'm, I don't have any homework. Well, she proceeds to go over, to the teacher proceeds to go over to my desk, and she turns my desk over, and she pulls out paper after paper after paper, and she sends home a stack with my mom about that thick, and I spent my whole Christmas break doing homework I was devastated I was so sorry that I got caught (laughs) I was so sorry that I got caught and for many of us for many of us that is the extent of our repentance before the Lord we're sorry that we got caught for Israel as we look at this passage in 1st Samuel chapter 7 it took 20 years for Israel to have a true heart change this morning we're going to look at at the difference between remorse being sorry you got caught and repentance being sorry that you did whatever it is that you did being being deeply repentant. For Israel it took 20 years for them to to experience repentance. They went from mourning and grieving the heavy blow that had been dealt upon them to mourning and grieving over their sin and seeking the Lord. I want you to notice with me if you will Chapter 6, verse 19, this was last week, this this is where we ended up last week. After Israel is utterly destroyed and utterly defeated by the Philistines, verse 19, the Ark of the Covenant comes back to Israel and God, not only has Israel been destroyed by the Philistines, but then they are destroyed by God. God, the, the Ark of the Covenant comes back and, and, and there are some 50,000 men that suffer at the hand of God and in and, and 1 Samuel chapter 6, verse 19, and this is their response. The people mourned because the Lord had struck down the people with great slaughter. Notice why they mourned. They mourned because all these people died. They did not mourn because they had transgressed the Lord. They did not mourn because they had had profaned that which was sacred. They mourned because they got caught. They cried over their sin. They cried because they had to have, the the funeral parlor was busy over the next couple weeks. They were grieving because of the circumstances, not because of their sin. Fast forward to chapter 7. Verse 2. And it came about from the days that the ark remained in Kiriath-Jerim that the time was long, for it was 20 years. And the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. Do you see the difference? In chapter 6, they were crying because all these people died. In chapter 7, they were crying because they longed to to commune with they longed for a relationship with the Lord. It had been 20 years since God had interceded. It had been 20 years since they had heard from God. It had been 20 years since they had experienced the presence of God. And it took 20 years of them feeling the consequences of their sin for them to get to the place where they were no longer sorry they got caught and they were truly seeking the Lord and they were, they were desiring, they were desiring to commune with and to fellowship with God. And then we see verse 3. Samuel spoke to the house of Israel. Samuel's back. Remember we, we took a, a three-chapter hiatus from Samuel? Samuel was, was a little kid the last time we saw him. And, and every time something bad happened, the text would tell us, but remember Samuel? But Samuel is growing. But Samuel is serving. The children of Eli are doing wickedness, but Samuel is growing. And that was that, that, was that glimmer of grace. Here in the depth of Israel's tragedy, in the depth of Israel's sin, Samuel shows up. He was a fresh inspiration of grace in chapter 3. In chapter 7, he ushers in God's mercy. Now, I want to point out what takes place. Israel cries over their sin. And many of us have, have, have been in this situation. How many of you have ever experienced the consequences of a bad decision and you are deeply grieved, you, 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 even to the point of tears. And, and you, you say this in your, in your heart of hearts. You say, I will never do that again. Has anybody ever been there? If you haven't been there, then you're just lying to yourself, because we've all been there. We've all been there, whether we were a child or whether we were an adult or whether we were, whatever the circumstances, we've made the statement, I will never do that again maybe it's after thanksgiving dinner and you say i will never eat that much food ever again until christmas and then christmas comes i will never do that ever again the uh, last week uh was restaurant week uh in baton rouge how many of y'all participate in restaurant week uh we went to texas day brazil a bunch of guys and we ate until meat was coming out of our pores and and i, I got home and i hurt so bad I told my wife, I said, I will never eat that much again. I will never do that again. But the first chance I get an opportunity to, guess what? I'm going to eat that much again because because I'm a glutton. So we, (laughs) we we have all been there. We've all made this statement that we will never do that again until the pain of that consequence wears off, until we forget how much it hurt until we forget how miserable we were in those circumstances mourning and grieving over our sin is good but true repentance never stops at an emotional response true repentance doesn't start it doesn't stop by saying i will never do that again True repentance always graduates from the emotional to the practical. It always graduates from an emotional response to an action. Go with me, if you will, to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree. For the Lord he wanted to see, right? Luke chapter 19. Zacchaeus climbs up in the sycamore tree. Verses 1. He entered into Jericho, he being Jesus. He entered and was passing through Jericho. Verse 2. And behold, there was a man by, called by the name of Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax gatherer. And he was rich, and he was trying to see Jesus, and he was unable to because of the crowd, for he was small in stature, verse 4. And he ran on ahead, and he climbed up in a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way, verse 5. And Jesus came to the place, and he looked, and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house, verse 6. And he hurried and came down, and received him gladly. And when they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stopped. And he said, Lord, behold, half of my possessions I will give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back to you four times as much. Zacchaeus experienced true repentance. Whenever Jesus, whenever Jesus came to Zacchaeus and said, Zacchaeus, I want to communion with you. I want to go and have dinner at your house. I want to experience table fellowship with you. I want to engage in a relationship with you. Zacchaeus was grieved over his sin. He knew that he had been a liar, a cheat, a thief. He was grieved over his sin. He was mourning his sin, but it did not stop at an emotional response. It followed with action. He said, I will will sell everything that I have, and I will return what I've stolen, and if I have defrauded anyone, I'm going to give it back, not once, not twice, but fourfold. True repentance doesn't stop at, I will never do that again. It always is followed by action. In fact, the Greek word for repent is metaneo. It has nothing to do. It has nothing to do with with being sorry. It has everything to do with changing the thought process, changing the way that we think. That's what it literally means to change the way that you think, to change your thought process, to understand that, that sin has brought about these consequences in my life, and if I want to avoid these consequences in my life, then I must change the way that I act, I must change the way that I think, I must change my thought process, and in turn, my actions will follow. When our mourning over sin goes from an emotional response to action, we experience Race. Luke chapter 19 is followed by Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18 is the story of the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus. He says, what must I do to, enter, to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, keep the commandments. He said, I've done that since I was a little boy. He says, go and sell all your possessions and give it to the poor and come follow me. And the man went away because he had much money, and much stuff. This man was not repentant. Zacchaeus was repentant. Zacchaeus received grace, the rich young ruler did not. Why? Because repentant grace is extended when our emotional response to sin progresses past an emotional response into action. 1 Samuel. It took them 20 years, but they got there they began with an emotional response because 50,000 people died. After 20 years, they realized that the problem wasn't 50,000 people died. The problem was that we, we have no relationship, no communion with the God of our Creator, with the God of creation. We have no communion with God our Father. And then that motivated them to action. Now, The scripture says in 1 Samuel chapter 7, let's go back there, 1 Samuel chapter 7, the text tells us that after they were willing to repent, after they were willing to to change the way that they lived, after their their remorse had gone from remorse to repentance, Samuel shows up. Notice Samuel doesn't show up until verse 3. Verse 2, they are seeking the Lord. Verse 2, they acknowledge, and it came about that it was 20 years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. Verse 3, then Samuel spoke to the house of Israel. And what did they say? Samuel said, return to the Lord with all of your heart and do this. Notice it's followed by an action verb. Remove the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth from among you, and direct your hearts to the Lord and serve Him alone, and He will deliver you from the hands of the Philistines. Now, I want to point out to you what, what this meant. Uh, the gods of the Canaanites, specifically Baal and Ashtaroth, were the gods of fertility. And so, I'm going to try and be very tactful and try and be very tasteful as, as, as I unpack this for you. So, in pagan cultures, they didn't trust their gods or their deities. They coerced or persuaded their gods or deities to act on their behalf. They would persuade them or coerce them with acts of sacrifice, with acts of service, with things that they would offer to the gods. And if if the gods, little g gods, were pleased with their gifts, then then the pagans, then the, the the worshipers would experience the blessing from these deities. And so since Ashtaroth and Baal were the gods of fertility, Baal being the male counterpart, Astaroth being the female counterpart, since Baal and Ashtaroth are the gods of fertility, this also meant they were the gods of 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 a fertile crop. It meant that they were the gods of a bountiful harvest, it meant that they were a god uh, the, the gods of 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 their uh their multiplicity as, as as they would multiply in in their family. And so for this ancient civilization, these gods were very important and how they would persuade them and how they would coerce them is they would go as an act of worship to the temple. And as they went to the temple, as they worshipped Baal and Ashtaroth, they would engage in, in sexual intercourse with the temple prostitute that was there at the, at the temple. And they would, they would coerce the god. They would hope that, that the god of Baal or the god of Ashtaroth would see their action and would mimic their action and that they would have a, they would have a fertile harvest or that they would have a plentiful harvest. And so this is the action that was going on in the days of Samuel. Not only the Canaanites, but all of the Israelites for 20 years, had been they had given themselves to the God of the Philistines. When in Rome, do as the Romans do. So this is what was going on. And so once Israel gets to the place of repentance, Samuel speaks. God speaks through his prophet. And says very specifically, remove the foreign gods from among you. Direct your hearts to the Lord and serve Him and Him alone. Verse 4 says, the sons of Israel removed the Baals and the Ashtaroth and served the Lord alone. They were grieved over their sin, but it moved them to action. It's not enough to cry. It's not enough to weep. It's not enough to to, to mourn because you got caught. It's not enough to to, to mourn and to grieve because you're wallowing in the circumstances of your sin. It's not enough to to cry because, because your life is falling apart, because you made bad decision after bad decision after bad decision. That's the circumstances, that is the the bed that we have made and we have to lie in it and it's not enough to cry and whine and complain because we've been dealt a raw hand because of bad decision after bad decision after bad decision. That's remorse, that's being sorry you got caught, that's being sorry because you you are experiencing the consequences of your sin. That must graduate from an emotional response to an action, to change the way that you live to change the decisions that you make, to alter your lifestyle so that you no longer experience those circumstances. That is repentance. That is what Israel did. Samuel said, if you're truly repentant, quit doing what you've been doing. Quit going to 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 the temple. Quit worshiping Baal and Ashtaroth and serve God and God alone. Do you not remember the law? Do you not remember the Ten Commandments? The hero Israel, the Lord your God is one. Serve him and him alone. Israel must be moved from remorse to repentance. So the scripture tells us that they do. That they throw off the gods of Baal and Ashtaroth, and the scripture tells us that they gathered together verse 6 they gathered at Mizpah, and they fasted before the Lord and they said we have sinned against the Lord and the scripture tells us that Samuel judged the sons of Israel now the Philistines got wind that all the Israelites had gathered together and when the Philistines got wind that all the Israelites had gathered together they said they said, okay, we're going to go ahead and squash whatever this is. And so they amassed an army, and they sent them after the Israelites. Because remember, the last time the Israelites and the Philistines met, it did not end well for Israel. Even though Israel had the ark of the Lord. Do you remember that back in back in 1 Samuel chapter 4, whenever Israel said, I got it, we'll, we'll bring out the ark of the Lord, and, and God will have to be on our side. God will have to go before us. Israel tried to coerce God, just like the... The pagans coerced their gods. And God was having none of it. The Philistines were no longer afraid of Israel. They said, we'll squash whatever this is. So the Philistines mount an army. And what's Israel's response? I want us to notice Israel's response because this ought to be our response. Verse 8. The sons of Israel said to Samuel, don't cease To cry to the Lord for us, that he may deliver us, that he may save us from the hands of the Philistines. Israel's response wasn't, all right, we need to to get all of our men, we need to mass our weapons, we need to make sure that that, that we fortify our flanks, we we need to prepare for battle. That was not Israel's response. Israel's response was, oh God, help us. Samuel, will you pray for us? Samuel, will you intercede on our behalf? We are facing imminent doom. We are facing imminent destruction. The last time we went to battle against the Philistines and we had the Ark of the Lord in front of us, they still wiped us out. You have to intercede for us. You have to go before us. You have to to plead to the God of Israel that, that, that He would save us, that He would deliver us. Israel knows that they can't defeat their enemy. And church, we must know that we cannot defeat our enemy satan is a mighty foe he is more powerful than you or i will ever be the powers of darkness and the powers of wickedness in this world are greater and stronger than any power in this earth that we wield you cannot defeat your enemy israel could not defeat their enemy But we must know, we must know that there is a God who will battle for us. Israel cries out to God because they are desperate. They have nowhere else to turn. They are desperate. And in order for God to intervene in your life, in your circumstances, in your situation, you must be desperate because you cannot do it on your own power if you want to do it on your own power god will let you he will let you defend yourself he will let you do just what israel did in first samuel chapter four he'll let you go to battle he'll let you amass your army he'll let you do it your way you remember the story of the prodigal son he allowed the prodigal son to take his inheritance the father the father gave his inheritance to the prodigal son he said go make your decisions live how you want to live there's a way that seems right to man but the end thereof is a death it is not until the prodigal son comes home in a place of desperation a place of of sheer emptiness And begs for forgiveness, begs just to be a a hired servant. That the father throws the scarlet robe, throws throws the purple robe on his back, puts a ring upon his finger, and slaughters the fatted calf and said, My son was dead and now is alive. Are you desperate? In the circumstances that you're in, are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? Are you sick and tired of living in the the consequences of bad decision after bad decision after bad decision? Are you ready to change your life? Are you ready to, to allow God to fight for you? Are you tired of trying to figure it out yourself? Because whenever Israel got tired of trying to battle it for themselves, whenever Israel got, tried, got tired of trying to do it on their own, and they cried out and they said, "God, you and, all, you and you alone can deliver me from the Philistines that that's whenever God showed up." Interestingly enough, in chapter seven, Samuel intercedes for God, I sorry, intercedes to God for the Israelites, and God shows up, and in verse 10, it said the Lord thundered with a great thunder on that day and the Philistines and confused the Philistines and they were completely routed before the Israelites. What did Israel do? They cried out to God. God showed up. Are you desperate? Because it's only when we're desperate that God will hear us. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. Paul said this. He said, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weakness that the power of Christ may dwell within me. Several years ago, I was Engaging in something very, very difficult on a personal level. Uh, being attacked by different, uh, uh, my character and uh, reputation and uh, different uh, decisions that have been made were, were coming under question. And I, I went to a, uh, an older pastor who had been uh, retired for some time. And I sought some advice. And I said, what do I do? And he gave me the best advice that any pastor's ever given me. He said, he said, Preston, he said, if you defend yourself, he said, the Lord will allow you to defend yourself. He said, but if you don't defend yourself, if you live and strive for righteousness and strive for integrity, then God will defend you. And that was the greatest advice that I could have ever given receive and so church i want to encourage you in this as you're experiencing the circumstances of your life if you try and fix it on your own via your own tools and mechanisms and strategies god will allow you to do just that just like he allowed the prodigal son to get a job working on a pig farm feeding the pigs he allowed him his, his efforts he said, he said you want to do it your way do it your way but when he got to the place of desperation when he said I'm done I give up God may I have grace may I have mercy he receives grace as Israel is suffering the consequences of their sin, it's interesting that Israel does not cry out to God. Notice, notice what it says in 1 Samuel chapter 8. The sons of Israel asked Samuel to cry out for them. The sons of Israel, the people of Israel, realized that they needed an intercessor, they needed a mediator somebody to go to God on their behalf because they knew, look, we've been going to the, to the temple. We've been going to the Canaanite temple. We've been engaging in, in, in illicit, immoral acts with Baal and Ashtoreth. We have, we have been living in sin and we have, no, we have no right. We have no platform to go to God. We are broken. We are disgusting. We are putrid. We are depraved wicked people, and we have no right to go to God. They knew they needed a mediator. They needed someone to go to God on their behalf. So they asked Samuel, they said, Samuel, will you cry out? Will you beg God to forgive us? Will you beg God to intercede on our behalf? And Samuel did. Church, we have no right. We have have no entitlement. We do not deserve grace. We have no platform to go to God. We are by our own choices and by our own nature, we are sinners, we are liars, we are thieves, we are murderers, and we desperately need grace, but we have no ability to go to God. He is holy, He is righteous, and we are not. We are desperate for a mediator. The good news is, is that we have one. 1 Timothy chapter two, verse five tells us this. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, that man, Christ Jesus. So the question I have to you this morning is Are you tired of the circumstances? Are you at a point of desperation in your life? Are you you at a point where where you're tired of trying to fix it on your own? You're tired of trying to to figure out what to do next? Your response is to cry out to Jesus. He is the only one. He is the only mediator between God and man. Samuel was a picture of. Of Jesus, An Old Testament type of Christ. He would intercede for the people. He would be that go-between, between a holy God and a sinful people. God would speak through Samuel. God would intercede through Samuel. Samuel would intercede for the people. He was that mediator presence in the Old Testament for the people of Israel in this time. When the fullness of time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a virgin, that He might die upon a cross, that he might be our mediator once and for all. And all those who place their faith and trust in Jesus and in him alone, God will pour out his grace and his mercy, and he will intercede in your life. Jesus said, all those who come to me, I will in no wise cast them out. Jesus said, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If you need rest this morning, May you come to Jesus. Let's pray. God, may our response before you this morning not be a response of remorse, that we're simply sorry because we got caught, that we're sorry because we're wallowing in the circumstances of our sin, but our response is that we are repentant before you that we deeply desire you to change us, that we desire to, to respond not simply by, by crying over our sin, but that we desire to respond by action, by doing something. And may that's something that we do, we cry out to Jesus. your word tells us that if we confess our sin that he is faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. Lord, your word tells us that you've cast our sin as far as the east is from the west through the shed blood of Christ. This morning, if God is speaking to your heart, if he is calling you to cry out to Jesus, to quit trying to fix your life on your own, just a few moments, I want to invite you to come. Maybe this morning you realize that you've been living in remorse rather than in repentance. And God is calling you to repent. Maybe you need to come to this altar and pray. During this time, may may the Holy Spirit be able to move in and amongst us. May you be free and willing to be obedient to God. may not take 20 years of of us experiencing the consequences of our sin for us to come to repentance. Maybe God is speaking to your heart. Maybe God is calling you to be obedient by being baptized. Maybe God is calling you to become a part of what He's doing right here at Redeemer. Whatever it is the Lord is speaking to your heart, may today be the day of decision.